Hello and welcome to the Friday, June 3rd, 2022, Summer's Here edition of On Iowa Politics. According to the press releases from the White House this week, in addition to June being Dairy Month and Pride Month, it's National Home Ownership Month and National Ocean Month. I'm guessing that observing Home Ownership Month and Ocean Month at the same time has more significance in some parts of the country than here in Iowa. I do know that this week we're talking about primaries, primaries, primaries. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning from my beachfront home. <laughs> Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. I, uh, I have oceanfront uh, property in Arizona. <laughs> from, my, uh, from my front porch, I can uh, see the sea. <laughs> Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. I have a small retention pond that I can see from my deck. Does that does that count as oceanfront property? Soon enough. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And my oceanfront property is the pool we bought from the Walmart. Oh <laughs> uh, well. First up, it's uh, primary season. A Des Moines Register poll back in September showed that Senator Chuck Grassley had a 55 to 37 percent advantage over former U.S. Representative Abby Finkenauer. That was when it was assumed Finkenauer would be the Democratic nominee. And while she still may be the presumptive leader, retired Admiral Mike Franken seems to be gaining, perhaps not surging, but gaining support across the state. There's been a little polling in this primary race other than internal polls that have produced good news for whichever campaign paid for the poll. The latest I've seen was that Franken's poll showed him with a two percentage point lead. An earlier poll for, uh, for the Finkenauer campaign showed her with a wide margin. Aaron, you've been covering this race and have spent some time with the candidates. What are the choices Democratic voters have and which voters is each candidate going after? The primary arguments from these candidates has been more based on their kind of personal and professional qualifications more so than policy, um, with the exception of Glenn Hurst, um, as we've talked about before, kind of running in the progressive uh, Bernie Sanders type lane. He, he, so he goes heavy on the policy. He's the Medicare for all and New Green Deal, uh, that that's sort of stuff, candidate. Um, whereas uh, where if you're the type of Iowa Democrat is trying to decide between Abby Finkenauer and Mike Franken, those two candidates have um, spoken more about, you know, their personal and political experiences and, and, and why that makes them uh, the best candidate. Um, and and specifically the, the, the argument they each try to make the best candidate to take on uh, Chuck Grassley. Um, so, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting uh, to me because, um, you know, when you talk about primary elections, these are the most... Um, connected and most um, attuned um, voters um, in in the party. And so, yes, Abby Finkenauer came into this race with maybe the most name recognition, but Democrats, Iowa Democrats know Mike Franken. Um, he might have more trouble in a general election um, starting out with uh, name recognition than he does in the primary when, when he ran in, in this party's primary two years ago. Um, and and did at least well enough to get some attention, and now he's built on that this year. So um, I'm really interested to see the outcome of this. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Abby Finkenauer has this wrapped up. Now that's that could be famous last words, and on 
Tuesday night, we'll see her win by 30 points and I'll sound like an idiot. It won't be the first time. Uh, but, but I, but I, but I think there's a the very real possibility, you know, you go out to events and, and um, Mike Franken draws people to his events and, and he, he has people at his events who are very interested in him and, and think he's the right way to go. Um, and, and Iowa Democrats are thinking about um, which one of those candidates they feel is the right person to take on Chuck Grassley. And, and that opinion differs that there's no, um, you know, unanimity there as far as uh, what what qualifications make a candidate the best candidate to take on Chuck Grassley. You know, Abby Finkenauer argues that she draws the biggest contrast being um, a young woman um, and, and someone who's, um, you know, been at the legislative table to fight for some of the issues that Democrats care about. Whereas Mike Franken um, says that he's the kind of candidate that can go into uh, all over the state and into rural pockets and, and appeal to uh, maybe more middle of the road, especially when you're looking ahead to the general election type voters. Um, so, so I, like I said, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see how this turns out Tuesday night. So Todd, is this a, a persuasion election or a turnout election? Or as Aaron said, uh, who has the best chance to beat Chuck Grassley election? Uh, I think it's a, who has the best chance to beat Chuck Grassley election. And I, I think so far Franken's probably made the best case based on his, you know, he's got a hefty resume. He was an admiral. He worked on Capitol Hill. He's got lots of experience in government and in the military and, uh, you know, is a, is a pretty respected figure among Iowa Democrats. And, you know, it's interesting. We, one, one sign of how, why that might be, we had a, a guest column come this week from uh, Stacy Walker, who is a, a county supervisor in Lynn County uh, and, and has sort of a political profile across the state. He's very progressive. He was a Bernie Sanders backer. Uh, and he basically wrote that, you know, he might not agree with Mike Franken on every issue, but Mike Franken has the best chance to beat Chuck Grassley. And, and that's, the, that's the job that needs to be done. So that's that's an interesting indication of maybe someone that might have supported a Glenn Hurst or maybe even a Abby Finkenauer that's that's looked at the looked at the field and decided that Franken has the best chance of winning. And this is a party that's that's basically desperate for a statewide meaningful win. They haven't had one in in years. And so I think winning is kind of the central objective of voters this time since they've since they're tired of all the losing you're saying state treasurer isn't a meaningful statewide uh, victory. <laughs> well, when i say meaningful i'm talking governor senator you know, this, well state treasurer you know we've had the same state treasurer since what 1950 something like that <laughs> Maybe not a that long far. time, long time. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things I, I noticed this week is uh, Franken seems to be talking about sort of the, the potential for crossover voting, uh, talking about how he's going to attract veterans who typically vote Republican uh, will vote for him. And, um, you know, I guess eight percent of all Iowans are veterans. So maybe maybe that could be a factor in, in a general election um, uh, if he can pick up that crossover vote. Um, Sarah, kind of looking ahead to Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, what, if anything, might the outcome of this primary tell us about the direction of the Iowa Democratic Party 
in 2020, uh, Democratic caucus goers split almost, almost evenly between progressive Bernie Sanders and P Pete Buttigieg, who was perhaps a more mainstream Democratic candidate. Um, so does that bode well for any of these three candidates? Uh, I mean, does, do you think it gives them an edge, any one an edge? Yeah, I think it, um, I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, just, uh, you know, absent the star power of somebody like Bernie Sanders, um, those, uh, the policies, Medicare for all, canceling college debt, um, like uh, Todd said, may not um, gain traction in the Democratic Party, even among people who are really progressive, just because they're desperate for a statewide win. Todd said it really well that um, that Iowa Democrats seem to be really wanting wanting a win and um, be wanting to put their um, put their chips on a uh, candidate like Abby Finkenauer or uh, Mike Franken, somebody who's a little more middle of the road. I'll be interested to see too if um, how voters think about uh, identity politics. If um, you know people are looking for that contrast of a younger woman uh, running against um, Senator Grassley um, or somebody who may be a little bit more like him, um, who has the military experience and uh, the experience in Washington already. And, and I guess we can ask the, the same question about the Republican Party. What will the results tell us? And Jared, the, the conventional wisdom is that Chuck Grassley will win handily. However, if State Senator Jim Carlin gets, say, 20 percent of the vote of the GOP vote, what does that say about the direction of the state party? Um, well, if that were to happen, that would, uh, I think, probably tell us that uh, the, the flavor that more and more people are interested in is one that's about as conservative um, as possible, which Jim Carlin has emphasized over and over again. Um, in his campaign stops. I was at one a couple weeks ago. And, you know, uh, after he got done speaking, someone came up uh, who helped organize one of the trucker convoys and, and talked for a little while. And so that's sort of the uh, the mold that uh, Carlin is kind of in in his race. And so, yeah, if you see that high a percentage or even higher than that, you know, maybe deciding to go with him, I think that uh, sort of tells you that, uh Somebody like Grassley does not have as much uh, purchase in parts of the party as he used to. And and James, to sorry, sorry, just to add to that, the other one, and we don't talk about a ton because it's the one district that's not in um, Gazette or Lee Land is is the third district here, and the and the Republican primary uh, here. Well, everything that Jared was just talking about, I think, is is right, and and that primary will tell us a little bit about that too because you have. Zach Nunn, um, who is kind of that traditional mold of a Republican candidate. He's a state lawmaker. He's a veteran. Uh, he serves in the Iowa National Guard. Um, uh, well known. Um, then you have a couple other candidates, Nicole um, Hasso and uh, Gary Leffler, who are um, have maybe been tracking a little more to the right of, of Zach Nunn um, in that primary. So, so that, and that, and that's for the right, that's a seat that Republicans desperately want. They want to try and take out Cindy Axney in the fall. It's a competitive district. They, they think they'll have a shot. So they want that one badly. And, uh, so it'll be interesting too, is that fourth district, uh, to see how much support Jim Carlin gets. And then in the third to see who wins that, you know, that, that, that race will be, uh, telling as well. You're right there. Um, it, I guess regardless of who wins the Democratic primary, uh, they'll face a steep climb to win in November. 
Uh, although past performance is no guarantee of future results, the 2020 election outcomes are not encouraging for Democrats. Former President Donald Trump carried Iowa 53 to 46 percent. And in the U.S. Senate race, Joni Ernst defeated Teresa Greenfield by a similar margin, 52 to 45 percent. Two years later, Todd, what are the, the chances Demo Democrats can reverse those numbers? Well, it's a it's a big challenge. I guess maybe one factor will be interesting to see is that, uh, you know, Donald Trump won't be on the ballot in November. And and I think his presence on the ballot probably drove some of his supporters to the polls that may not be as interested in these other races. Uh, you know, the, for instance, the, you know, the Democrats did fairly well in 2018 when Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. And, you know, whether this electorate looks anything like that electorate, I, it's uncertain. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about where, who will suburban, you know, women support. And with some of these issues that have come up with abortion and gun safety and, and a lot of these uh, issues that some of those folks care about, that might alter the landscape some too. So I think, like, I think it's, we're still on track to see probably a, a pretty good general election for Republicans, but, you know, it, it also comes down to candidates and issues and, and that, that might, you know, maybe, maybe it won't be the size of a wave that people are predicting and, and some Dem Democrats might score some surprising, surprising upsets. As we've talked about in the past, there are a number of primary races, uh, interesting races around the state uh, for statewide and legislative offices. Uh, Democrats have a primary for Secretary of State with the county auditors, Joel Miller of Lynn County and Eric Van Lanken from Clinton County. Uh, competing for that, the Miller and Secretary of State Paul Pate, both from Lynn County, have clashed repeatedly. So a head, uh, head race there uh, likely produce some fireworks. Aaron, uh, two Republicans are vying to take on Auditor uh, Rob Sand. Republicans have been targeting Sand, hoping to de derail any aspirations he has to run for either the Senate or governor. Um, are, are these the candidates who will do that? You would think that uh, on paper, that once this gets to a general election, that Rob Sand is going to be a pretty strong favorite to, to earn another term against either um, Marianne Hanusa or uh, Todd Halber, who are the two Republicans running in, in Tuesday's primary. Um, Rob Sand um, ran a campaign that was well-received four years ago, um, very successful campaign, had some popular ads, and, and I don't think he's done anything in office that will move the needle as far as general election voters. I mean, Republicans won't vote for him. Um, but Democrats will, and and I think those um, no party voters that voted for him last time, I, I I don't see them enough of those not voting for him this time for any reason uh, to to change that uh, um, equation. Um, so you know you never say never, and and if the if the if it's he's a huge Republican wave, maybe it even sweeps into some of these less high profile. Uh, statewide races like auditor, but uh, I think when you set the the starting blocks for this one, that Rob Sand is in in a good position. Republicans might regret that they uh, did away with straight ticket voting a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and Fultz said that at the time. You know, yeah. we, we asked we asked them that as they were passing that bill. Are you sure you're not just shooting yourself in the foot? 
but it was the right thing to do, I guess. So that's right. <laughs> Jared, you've been watching several legislative races in Western Iowa, including at least a couple where the governor has endorsed pro-voucher candidates. Uh, this week, she weighed in in the Matt Winchell's race, a uh, House Majority Leader, and uh, Representative Skylar Wheeler's race. Do these incumbents need her support or endorsement, or is this more of an insurance policy? I don't necessarily know that either of those two really need um, her endorsement. I think they're going to be relatively safe. Although I will say one thing that uh, merely I'm interested in with the Skylar Wheeler one is that he's running in a different race than he initially planned. So maybe, you know, an endorsement is a little more helpful for him since he's like he was planning on running in a district where he would have been in a primary against Tom Janary, and then he backed away from that and even moved uh, to run in a different district. So that might help him a little bit there. Um, and then, again, we talked about this last week. One, I still am wondering how much of an impact it's going to have is the endorsement in the uh, race with uh, Dennis Bush, who is only a one-term incumbent, so that's not the strongest incumbency possible but i mean he's from the area and has connections in that area going back to being a supervisor and working in the school system so i i don't know just that because the governor dropped in on that race and endorsed one of his challengers that that's necessarily going to be enough for him to lose either so i yeah i don't know how much of an impact any of those particular endorsements are going to have aaron are you hearing anything or getting any indications that the governor's education savings account will determine the outcome of legislative races around the state? Or is it, you know, a matter of local issues and good standing in the community, you know, the, the, the candidate more than the party and those things? Yeah, I think it's still at the end of the day more the latter than the former. It, it, it's still more important to, especially in these state house races, state house races to be like you said, a, a candidate who's familiar and known and well-liked in, in the community. Now, that said, I do think that bill and those governor endorsements will have some kind of impact. We'll obviously find out for sure tomorrow night. I mean, again, you always try to remember that these primary elections, these are the most tuned in uh, voters. These are the folks that are that are eat, drink, and sleep in this um, 24-7 like all of us here. God help us. Um, so, uh, so so, these are the folks that can be maybe swayed by an endorsement, especially when it's the governor and especially when it's the governor who's very popular in the Republican Party uh, of Iowa. So um, I, I think it's a little bit of a mixture. But, but look, look, you know, there's a couple races and there's candidates who are just really – well-known and really liked in the community. I think the one that stands out to me um, is John Thorpe over in Knoxville, uh, Pella area. He's from Knoxville. His Republican primary challenger is from Pella. Very popular and well-known businesswoman in the area. Um, you, you hear from people over there and, and, and it's just, it's a case of someone that everybody knows and likes and respects. And, 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 I, and I think, and then the governor came in and endorsed her because John Thorpe was a no on, on the vouchers bill. So, so that's an example where both of those kind of forces are, are working against uh, John Thorpe in that race. And, and I, I think there's a good chance that he's, he's very much in trouble. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting then in, in some of these other races to see to what degree um, that bill uh, 
um, you know, moves the needle in, 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 and the governor's endorsement moves the needle in these primaries. Where I kind of think it might matter most is not even necessarily with any individual voters, but like you get the governor's endorsement, you're going to start raking in more money. And obviously mm-hmm. in, you know, state house races in some of these small districts, having some more walking around money is going to be pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're seeing that happen. Yeah. And if that buys you one more campaign mailer to, to put in somebody's mailbox, you know, uh, 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 in the last week before the election, that, that, that can be a big thing too. That's a great point. Well, and you've got you've independent expenditures. I mean, the, a lot of groups, the Friends of Kim, as I call them, are are still pouring money into these contested primary races on behalf of candidates who the governor supports. So that's 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 paying for canvassing and, and mailers and digital advertising and all that stuff. Yeah, group groups like uh, Americans for Prosperity have also weighed in on these races. Uh, the Family Leader. Uh, so another great point. It, it's it's not just the governor is as, as, as big as the deal as that is. It's not just her. It's it's these other groups that are like minded that are that are getting involved as well. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Interesting thing about the John Thorpe's race is that uh, uh, the governor endorsed his opponent, but Governor Reynolds also endorsed Matt Winshittle, who has endorsed John Thorpe. So I guess she's <laughs> endorsed both candidates there. You, you know. <laughs> She's going to be a winner on uh, Tuesday night. And just to clarify, uh, I, I know you're anxious to get through this election, uh, Aaron, but the we won't know tomorrow night, but Tuesday. Night. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Did I say tomorrow night? Yeah. Jeez, yeah, I am in a hurry. Obviously. We, elections should actually be on Saturday. So yeah. Good job, Aaron. I, I was saying that to the people who wait and listen to the podcast on Monday. Oh, yeah. Exactly, sorry, I didn't exactly. clarify that. <laughs> the Mondayers, I think yes. we call them. <laughs> Todd, there's a Democratic Senate primary in, in Cedar Rapids that could be interesting. Representative Liz Bennett is running for the seat held by Senator Rob Hogue, uh, which is considered a safe seat for Democrats. However, she's being challenged by labor organizing Joe Zaharik, not for a vote she took, but for a vote she didn't take. Back in February, there was a, a bill uh, dealing with public project contracts and and there was some language in the bill that would have been bad for for unions regarding regents contracts which are i forget all the ins and outs it's kind of it's kind of a in the weeds type thing but it was bad for unions and and the and labor unions managed to find 12 republicans who would vote for an amendment to remove that regents language out of the bill and it was voted on on a in the morning of a you know, a session day, <clears throat> excuse me again. And uh, the amendment failed on a 50 to 50 vote. And Liz Mathis, or not Liz Mathis, Liz Bennett was was absent for that vote. So uh, that rankled labor unions. And, and of course, Joe Zahorek is a, a union organizer. When I, when I talked to him, he insisted that that missed vote was not the reason he's running. But, you know, the conventional wisdom around the district is that that was uh, that was certainly a, an important factor in getting his, his decision to get into the race. And by all accounts, it's going to be close. There are a couple more uh, races in the Lynn County area that are interesting. One is uh, Representative Molly Donahue is running for uh, a Senate seat and being challenged by Austin Frerich, who is a um, uh, uh, more progressive, uh, I guess you would say. And um, that race uh, should be 
interesting to watch. There's another one, uh, Senate 42, the GOP primary, uh, two of the candidates, Coleman Silbernagel and Justin Watson say uh, they'll support a, a voucher plan. And the third candidate, Representative Charlie McClintock, um, who hasn't supported it, says his future will be guided by the desire of his constituents. Uh, his take is that uh, votes in the House di- district didn't voters in the House district didn't support it, and in a race where uh, candidates seem to be trying to outconservative each other, McClintock says that as a conservative, he doesn't believe non-public schools want or need more state interference. Um, that's a district that wraps around Cedar Rapids and covers a good deal of Benton County, which uh, makes me wonder if um, Silbernagel, who lives in Benton County, might benefit if Lynn County voters split their votes between McClintock and Wasson. Um, Sarah, any particular uh, races in the Quad Cities area you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, so there's um, a, a Senate district around uh, that covers Bettendorf, Eldridge, and LeClaire. There's two city council members who are running for that for the Republican um, primary, and it's an open seat. Uh, the um, with redistricting, um, no incumbent is in there, and uh, and so I asked the candidates about the uh, about the educational savings accounts voucher plan, and one candidate, um, Barry Long, who's a Leclerc City Council member, he was really like 100%. I'll vote for it no matter what. Um, and then the other guy. Um, Bettendorf City Council Alderman um, Scott Webster was a little more cautious, saying, you know, well, I'll support it, but I'm concerned about this um, provision giving money to rural schools. I'd prefer that money to stay here in the district. So um, that race hasn't been really high profile, but I'll be interested to see if, um, you know, if that kind of that affects um, any voters' uh, decisions. And then there's another um, House GOP primary in Davenport, in Northwestern Davenport, where um, uh, one of the candidates is a more middle of the line GOP guy. And um, one of the candidates is um, a very uh, social conservative woman. Her name's Luana Stoltenberg, and she filled out a survey for the Iowa Standard about and said that she would support stripping the Iowa Civil Rights Act of protections for uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. I'll be interested to see if voters, you know, want to stay middle of the line or head more conservative. But it's also a Davenport's a fairly Democratic area, so they're they'll be facing a, a, a Democrat in the, in the fall. Stay tuned, folks. Tuesday night could produce interesting results. Moving on here, uh, guns and what to do about them. About the time that President Joe Biden was exhorting Congress to do something about gun violence Thursday evening, a man shot two women at an Ames church and then apparently killed himself. A series of killings in recent days has raised the level of concern about gun violence and the need to do something about it. Sarah, you've been talking to our congressional representatives this week, asking them what Congress might do in the wake of shootings in Buffalo, Uvalde, and now Ames. What are they suggesting and what do they think the prospects are for action? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks and um, Senator Grassley were um, in Davenport here in the last couple weeks uh, since some of these high-profile shootings and um, and asked that question of them. And um they were pretty hesitant to support anything specific. Um, I think it's pretty as a um, most people 
can guess, I think it's pretty high, um, a high hill to climb for Congress to get any kind of action done on gun deaths and uh, gun uh, background checks or red flag laws. Um, However, there was a law enforcement roundtable with Grassley um, and the Lynn County auditor, or excuse me, the Lynn County attorney. There was also um, law enforcement leaders from Scott County, Davenport, and uh, Lynn County, Cedar Rapids, who told Grassley, we're seeing more guns on crime scenes. We're seeing more rounds being fired. And um, none of them went as far as to say, hey, Grassley, you should consider red flag laws. But um, but the Lynn County attorney was there as well and said uh, and told Grassley, hey, I really hope you hear what these law enforcement officers are telling you about these high amounts of guns that are being found at crime scenes and um, consider red flag laws. And so and Grassley said, well, instead of giving you my opinion on whether I support these, um, you know, like uh, he likes to do, he um, was said that he was going to let the uh, bipartisan group of senators um, put together some kind of uh, action on on, um, gun control measures, but um, that he wasn't ready to support a, a like an assault weapons ban. So we'll see. I'm, I don't think anybody's, especially Democrats, are real hopeful that anything's going to happen, um, but, but we'll see. Finally, um, when I started this newspaper journey more than 40 years ago, the word podcast had not been coined. That didn't happen until 2004 after an MTV video jockey uh, developed a program that allowed him to download internet radio to his iPod. Remember those Podcasting, fortunately, became the preferred term rather than audio blogging. More than 10, more than 10 years ago, then lean State House Bureau Chief Mike Weiser and I talked about launching a podcast focusing on the Iowa legislature and state politics. Um, we had several discussions and Mike finally pulled the trigger and with help from the Gazette, uh, OIP was born. The original on Iowa Politics crew included Mike and me, as well as Ed Tibbetts, formerly of the Quad City Times, and former Waterloo reporter John Erickson, Todd Dorman, and Brett Hayworth, a longtime city, Sioux City Journal reporter, joined soon afterwards. Since then, fellow podcasters have come and gone, and uh, soon a familiar voice will return. This being a podcast about Iowa politics, it's hard to believe that there have been weeks where we wondered what we were going to talk about. Most weeks, there's more going on than there is time to talk about it. And we've joked uh, about starting an On Iowa Politics Plus uh, subscriber service so listeners could hear our after-the-mics-are-off discussions about our jobs and our editors, <laughs> the news business, and for some reason, Wisconsin sports, Aaron. Um, <laughs> over the years, we've offended a few people and made a few enemies. I'd like to think that we've made enough friends that the balance sheet is in the positive territory. The mere fact that On Iowa Politics is still here after more than 10 years suggests that we've done something right or we're so bad at this that people keep coming back to see what we mess up next. (laughs) However, with my retirement, there should be fewer mess ups. So for what's likely the last time you'll hear me say it, that's all for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. I'll be listening from my rocking chair. (laughs) Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. Stay up to date 
between the podcast by subscribing to the On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jeremy Jacobs will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on the podcast, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Todd, Jared, Sarah, and our producer, Bailey, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.